Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley, and today is episode four. Yes, uh, I'm pretty excited about this thing. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time, you know, thanks for dropping in. If this is number four for you, I really appreciate you listening, actually. You know, I mean, I know I'm like supposed to say that, but like I really, really do because there are definitely other things I probably could be doing or should be doing, but I'm excited about this and I'm actually really excited that you guys are listening. And it has been such a privilege to fall in love with the DFW climbing community and the climbing community abroad. So, I'm really excited about the upcoming guests that we have, but today I want to talk to you about episode four. And today we have Andy, good buddy of mine. I've been coaching him for, uh, let's say the last seven to nine months, and he has been a joy to work with. And I am so excited to share with you one of his sends and suffers, the thing that he was most excited to do. So without further ado, here's Andy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys for tuning in to Sends and Suffers podcast. Today, I have Andres Marcelo, and I'm hoping I said that right again. If not, then we'll get it right later. For local friends, they call you Andy the Crusher. You have now turned into the local hard man in the American Alpine Club, Hayden, and a bunch of people sing your praises about you tried climbing and leading, leading big, bold, scary things. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure about that there. Just amazing. They're being way too nice. I mean, if someone's willing to bathe you in the glory, you should just take it. It should just run <laughs> with it. So, uh, so Andy, they are great mentors. I would agree. So, tell people who you are, where you're from, and what do you do? Sure. So, I'm from Mexico City, but I lived in the north of Mexico most of my life in Monterey, and I'm a software engineer. I currently live in Dallas, and yeah. Nice. And as a software engineer, is there anything in particular that you specialize in or is it just, I mean, I I know nothing of the world of software engineering. Yeah. So I do mostly web, web app development. Okay. So yeah. If you go, for example, like the mountain project application of REI, Mm -hmm. that's like a web app, you know, it's not a static page. You can log in, you can add stuff you want to like routes you want to do. So that would be considered like a web application. I do things like that. Okay. That's awesome. And uh, that's also enlightening. So how long have you been doing that for? So for four years or yeah, 2015, I started before that. I used to work in finance. Oh, I did not know that you went from finance to web. That seems like a, a big jump. What made you decide to do that? So, you know, I actually really, really liked my job in finance and I did it for seven years. I do have like an engineering background, but I, I, when I graduated, I went into finance. That's like the one job I was able to find. I did have to do a little bit of coding there. I need to do like a program, my models to price and little, it was really, really minimal, but it got me you know, curious and like, what else can I do with code? And one thing that led to the other and started learning more and more on my own how to code. Then went to San Francisco for a year, did, did more coding, did like a lot more school, like a six month intensive of just web applications. And then I got a job here in Dallas. Nice. I've been here ever since. So did you live in San Francisco for a while? Yeah, yeah I was there for one year. How'd you like it? I, you know, 
I loved it, but it has its up and downs. It's super expensive, and there's a lot of homeless, which you can you can see like the the difference between so much wealth and you know so much poverty. So that's not I don't know that's not great. I guess fair enough. Just um, out of curiosity, would you say there was like a strong middle class in San Francisco, or not so much? It's either you you make a lot of money, or you're just like there's not a big one in, at all. I've never been to San Francisco, so that's why I asked. I was just curiosity. That's a good question. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think there's much of a like there's a high middle class. I want to say, but. I might be wrong there. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're going to talk about rock climbing today, which everyone loves rock climbing. And if you don't love rock climbing and you're tuning into this podcast, great. But you should love it anyway. Uh, how long have you been climbing for? So I really started climbing quite a lot, like maybe a year and a half ago. I did do a little bit of climbing when I was like a little kid. I went to the rock climbing gym, learned how to lead. I even remember back then I was, I think, in sixth grade. And I remember getting like my lead certification back then in Mexico, but you know, it was on and off for a couple of years. I want to say I really, really started like a year, year and a half ago. Okay. Okay. Full disclosure here. Uh, I have been coaching you for how long now? Like three, five months, four months? I want to say more. I want to say maybe seven months. Seven months. Okay. So it's been since you've won wanting to get serious and I have definitely seen some amazing growth in you. I would say that uh, I have definitely seen you get real bold, real, real, real bold on rope. And I've definitely seen you make moves that I think you previously did not think you could do. And but, you know, from a coaching perspective, I always knew you could do them. And so I've definitely seen your climbing grow in the last seven months since we have been working together. So I'm very proud of you and you should be proud of yourself. Yeah, no, thanks. I guess I like having you. Working with you and working with the guys in the AAC have definitely taken me to a level that I, you know, just that progression of getting better, mm-hmm. I think was faster when you are around people that are just way better than you. Yeah. I think the big thing also, too, is you are also around, even if you're not around people who are better, you're also consistently surrounding yourself with people who are hungry, who really want to do more. And I think that's a big thing, too, because Hayden... Um, which we're probably going to have on the show a little later, Anthony and all of those guys and girls and Emma and uh, them, they like want to try hard. And I feel like it's hard not to be around them and not want to just just, like get pulled right into that because they want to get on big stuff. They want to get on harder things. And I think you're drawn into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I followed Anthony last year. On this route that he was doing, um, this sketchy trap route, and what was yeah, it? Yeah, like you said, it was. I can't remember which one it was, but it had like the most. He played like two black totems. Uh, I won't be laying him. I was like, oh my god, I hope he doesn't like fall on those totems. It's just so small, and but yeah, he, he, he was planning. You know, he was just in total flow, and yeah. it was nice to follow him. And but like you said, yeah, he's him and Emma. Emma's great. Like the. The first time I climbed with Emma, I tried uh, this route in Dr. Coolhead. Oh, yeah. I tried it on classic, Pop classic Wichita route. Yeah, I tried, it, I, I tried it in Pop Rope and it was way hard. I don't think I even was able to get it that first the first trip I went to Oklahoma. And Emma did it on Pop Rope, but she just walked up. Like it was like a 5'5". Five five. I was like, oh my God, Emma can really, really climb. Emma is a... F- freak of nature like she is so cool and so chill and so awkward 
but she rock climbs like I, so I coached her back in the day in Dino Rocks and she has always had the most phenomenal footwork because Emma just like <sighs> Emma is really efficient in her movement and she's always had very phenomenal footwork. The only thing is, is when the moves get a little scary and the moves get a little bold, sometimes she would back down or she doesn't like being told what to do in a rock climb. Like I would always remember coaching her and I'd be like, you need to do this. And she's like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, you need to do this. She's like, I can do it this way. But I'm like, but what we want to learn today is this. You can't tell Emma what to do. That's for damn sure. But she is by far one of the most like the gifted climbers I've ever seen. Like. The funny part about it is, is I think she uses a fraction of the gifts that she has. Like, I really don't think she actually even like has begun to dive in to what she could really do. It's 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 a treat to watch her rock climb. Like, I, I know exactly what you mean, because when you look at her, you're like, oh, and then you see her rock climb. And you're like, holy crap. Like, yeah, it is phenomenal. Well, we are here today to talk about a story about your rock climbing. This is your send and suffer. And so we've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, full disclosure, we have actually, we did an earlier podcast, but due to my lack of knowledge in acoustic treatment, it was pretty rough. So we're redoing this. Um, so why don't you tell everybody uh, what your climb is, where it is, and kind of uh, what you were trying to get at? I know this is a route we were training to do. So the whole goal was I started rock climbing. I started training with you. I started going out with Hayden and Charles, you know, the guys we just mentioned. And I thought I was starting to learn all these things. And I, so I, like I said, I well, I live in Monterey, and Monterey has three amazing places to go climb. There's Potrero, there's El Salto, and there's Huasteca. Yes. And I kind of wanted to learn. I wanted to be. I wanted to learn everything that I needed to go by myself and go with me, just me and a and a partner, and be able to know everything I needed to do to just enjoy this paradise that I had when I go visit my mom. So I decided to pick a multi-pitch route, which was Will the Wolf Survive. It's not rated super hard. I think it goes at 510A. Uh, but it, it, I thought it was like an, a good, it's going to be a little hard and it has, it's a little technical. I'm going to need to know how to delay from above. I'm going to need to know to, to, you know, train multi-pitch, uh, all these things that I needed to do. So that's the, the route I picked. And that's when I said, when I came to you and I'm like, I want to do this route by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how I picked it and what happened. All right. So when did you go and do this route? It was, so the goal was to do it before January 1st, but my partner in Mexico was in a vacation, so he couldn't do it. So it ended up, we ended up going, I think, the first week of January or the second week of January. Nice, nice. Okay. And was it, was there a reason you were trying to do it at a different time, better temperatures, or just, that's just kind of when it was? No, I just kind of wanted to really, you know, my end of year goal. And okay. I really wanted to be before, you know, 2020. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, ah, it yeah. couldn't happen. Two weeks is the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? fair. Fair, cool. And then who is your partner that you were climbing with? So my partner, he's actually, I give him props because he was the one who actually got me into rock climbing. He's Mario, same name as you. Mario, Mario, great names. 
Yeah. And he's been a friend of mine since I was in high school. He's just a great, great guy. He, and he's been telling me to go outdoor with him for like forever. But for some reason or another, I really never went climbing outdoors with him. I did go to the gym a couple of times. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just came until last year where he actually took me one day to Potrero, like one weekend. And we hiked all the way to the base of El Sendero Luminoso, which is the route that Alex Honnold free soloed a couple of years. So the first thing we didn't climb, he just, he just took, he, he don't told me, let's go to Potrero and I'm going to show you around and we'll do some single pitch routes the next day. And I remember just being, I can't believe there's this amazing place and I've never been here in all my life. And I used to live here. Uh-huh. And yeah, so he was the one who actually just kept insisting for years and years to go outdoor. And so it was him actually the one who actually eventually got me to going outdoors. That's funny. I uh, grew up in Northern Virginia and I didn't start rock climbing until I moved to Texas. People were always like, oh, you must have been climbing all your life. And now I think about it like being right next to Shenandoah. I used to spend my summers in Connecticut and New York. I was right outside of the Gunks, uh, the Anirondacks. And it's funny. It's like when you look back when you're growing up and you look back, I'm sure this happens to a lot of climbers that start climbing later in life. But you're like, oh, I was right next to like these amazing climbing places. And I never took advantage of them because I didn't know any better. Yeah, it was the same thing like like. Thank you. You know, uh-huh. nice. So then, um, when so you guys were gearing up, the the wolf survive. The wolf will survive. Was that the name of the route? Yeah, well, they will survive. And I think so. The canyon it's called Los Lobos Canyon, and I'm pretty sure it's named after the band. There's like a rock band, or like a, I don't, I'm not sure if it's rock, but it's it's a band that's called Los Lobos, mm-hmm. and. And the will the will survive is actually one of their the songs in one of their albums, and I actually figured oh. this out way after I actually climbed the route. But yeah, that's the name of. Okay, I will have to look up that song and put a link into it in the show notes. So that will be that be cool. Is it a Latin band? Yeah, you know, I'm actually not sure. I have a feeling they're from uh, they're Mexican American. I have a feeling they're from California, but they're I might be wrong. I might be totally. Okay, well, cool. Then, so let's talk about the route. So we we have the route. We have the partner. You have all the, you know, the stars have a line. The cosmos is in order for you. And <laughs> we go to do the route. Um, so let's start breaking down the send and the suffer. Like, you tell me. So, like, what? tell me, just kind of walk me through the whole process of the route, how you led up to it, and, like, what was the experience on it? Okay, yeah. So I'll start with one. I have two suffers. The first suffer is... I had like a little bit of a cold, so I had like a runny nose and I wasn't feeling my best. And the last thing I wanted to do was hike. Uh, yeah. And thank God in Portugal, hiking is not that bad. We didn't read the map correctly and we got on the wrong canyon and we hiked for, I don't know, maybe 25 to 30 minutes. It says uh, every other climber, every climber in the world has done that at least once. Yeah. And we eventually were, oh, we're in the wrong canyon. So it was like, I was now sweating and I wasn't feeling that great. And I'm like, oh no, now we have to go down, go back and climb, you know, hike up again to where the next, the start of the route is. So that was the first offer because that was pretty annoying. And yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was just part of the trip. It was something we didn't expect. It, but, Dude, and, you know, part going of the down, the... The hike had like a bunch of loose rock 
So we kept flipping over and over again. And that was also kind of painful. Um, I don't know if we just got, we didn't got on the right path that we were just on this path where was like the ground was not really firm. And we just was, had like a bunch of little, you know, pebbly rocks that you kept sliding and sliding and sliding. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was horrible. Okay. Okay. And then, so a few hours later, you guys finally get to the base of the climb and then what, what goes on from here? You've got a runny nose. I'm sure your partner's dead beat tired from walking around. Yeah. So when we, when we go down, we're like kind of, we're a little sweating and we're all next to the car. So my partner tells me, I'm going to leave my, my jacket in the car. And I told him, no, man, bring it on because I have a feeling it might get cold. He's like, no, man, it's super warm. We're fine. I'm like, okay. So we get to, we hike now the correct canyon and we get there and there's two groups on the, on the rock. One of them is in the pitch, in the last pitch and the other is on pitch three. So we're like, should we go or should we wait? And we decided to wait a little bit, at least until the first group started to come down. When they started repelling, we were going to start to go up. That's courteous. That's very courteous of you. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, there wasn't really nobody else around. You could hear some people climbing in other parts of the, of the place, but we we're like, oh yeah, it might be nice because if they finish, we might have like this whole wall home to ourselves. So that might be nice. And yeah, well, eventually we start climbing. We get to, we, we do like pitch one. Pitch one's just nice little pitch, has like a little roof. I actually placed a, a nut in a little crack and it was probably like the crux model for the pitch one. And it's not a really hard pitch, but I was like, I'm just going to place a nut here. And then when I got above it, it totally fell and I did not notice it. Real quick, Petrero, this, this climb is in Petrero Chico, right? Mm-hmm. Potrero, for those of you who don't know, is predominantly all sport climbing. Are there a lot of trad routes or places that require trad there? No, you don't. And you really don't need to. <laughs> I just had a couple of camps. I'm not camp. I mean, not because I was like, in case I need to, you know, no, if no. there's a little run out or something. Dude, dude. I just like, you know. <laughs> Dude, a feel-good placement is always a good thing. A confidence placement is always a good thing. Like, just putting it in there just so you're like, you know something? This might work. This might not work. But at least makes me feel better is, yeah. like, some people would argue with it. But if you have the gear to spare, why not? Yeah, and, and I think it got me through that little crux because it was, I thought, like, oh, this is so bummer. And it wasn't because it fell off the moment I went above it. That's awesome. But it got me mentally, you know, just going. And then when I got to the top, well, when my partner comes up, I told him, hey, you saw my placement of that knot? Wasn't it great? He's like, man, that thing fell the moment you started climbing up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah. He told me, I told you, but you, you just didn't hear me. So I was like, oh, well. I guess it was great that I, I didn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that also brings up a funny point. Um, and since you have climbed in Petrero, you would probably know this more than anybody else. But I've only been there once. And the thing that I noticed the most was I was amazed how well I could hear other people in other canyons or around oh, yeah. you it blew my mind and it like it uh, it honestly made me have to start communicating with my partner and announcing first names and we had to come up with like a tug system because it, i was just blown away how well you could hear 
people in other canyons or around you and they were like not even within sight but you could still hear them and so you would hear you know on belay off belay take take on it would just get a little confusing i was just really surprised is that pretty common throughout the whole park you know now that you mention it yeah you do hear people but like i said we were probably the only group on los lobos canyon and we would hear other people take or off delay and yeah you definitely do hear people but the one thing that we bring we brought was the walkie talkies yeah yeah those are clutch yeah it does make a lot of uh, like makes a difference yeah i always bring those i'm hard of hearing and so i wear hearing eggs so i always 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 have walkie talkies with me i just cannot not go without them. I mean, it's one thing if we're doing like a really short multi-pitch and I can see I have someone in line of sight and if I forget them, it's not a big deal. But if I'm going around corners or it's going blind, I, I, I have no idea. And so I always like to communicate with people that way. But yeah, those are clutch. So cool. So you blew that crux pitch. Now was the crux pitch, you said this thing was four pitches long, right? Yeah, no, no, this wasn't a crux pitch. pitch. It was just like, it was like a little crux move. And ah. it was really not that hard. It was more, you know, pitch one, pitch getting, two, pitch one. Okay. Then pitch two is really, really nice because you have this crack that goes, but it's, uh, I don't know how to say it, but it's like a crack on the side. It's not like, it's not, you don't go front, you go a little sideways. So you're, it's like a layback. You're like grabbing it and you're pulling in and you're pushing your feet out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes and that's a really, really nice pitch. Yeah, that, and that one has like a little bit of a crack, and then you go out of the crack, and that one's just like a really, really probably one of my favorite pitches ever. Oh, nice. Uh, done so far. Nice, nice. That's and, awesome. Yeah. After that comes pitch three. Pitch three is just like a really long pitch. That one's all face climb. It's really, really nice, and it has like a little flat at the end where you get to this little cave, and you can actually. There's like a little hole that you can peek through the other canyon. So that, that's pretty cool. Oh, that is awesome. I did not even know that was there. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was pretty, pretty cool. And from there you get to the to the last pitch with which is the hardest pitch. It's like a five ten A. But it only really has one or two moves really hard, then it just you just walk up. And you have to kind of go out of the canyon and you're just you, you feel all the exposure below you. I think it's probably, I don't know, thousand feet, maybe. Huh? I don't know, four pitches up. Four I don't know. It feels, it feels like you're in flying when you just like go out of the canyon. I mean, if you're and, going toe to toe, if you're going toe to toe on a 60 meter rope, you're at two, four, six, eight. Yeah. I mean, you're close to it. So probably somewhere between yeah. 700 to 900 feet off the ground. Yeah. Love all the hikes. So you can see if you see like oh, where the street yeah. is. That like the, the feeling is towards the street. Maybe the base of the climb is a little higher, but that feeling is the feeling is all the way towards the street. Is, so oh, nice. So then, and so this was at the top, and this is you don't see through this hole until you're at the top of pitch four. So have you sent the route and clipped the chains already? No, that's pitch three. Oh, when you get to the cave, it's pitch, the top of pitch three. Okay, then. And then pitch four is the one where you go out of the cave, and it has that little move that you kind of step step into the void. Because you come out of the cave and you have to, you know, just, so you, it's just, it's, yeah, you have to commit to that move. So, because you step into clear exposure, it's just open air. Yeah. That's very, yeah. so there's a route I did a few years ago um, called uh, the East Face of Mount Whitney. It's not a hard route. It goes at like five, seven, but it starts at the base of the climb, which is at 13,000 feet elevation. So it's alpine. Mm. But there is this one thing, it's called the open air traverse. 
And like I said, I did this whole thing in my approach shoes, five, seven, not hard, but I kid you not, you look down and it's like a straight 1100 feet, but you're like, you're on like this big giant pod and you can see everybody and you're talking and then you take one step out and totally, as you said, into the void and you just feel the wind. Like it's one of those moments, like you, when you step out, you feel the wind. <laughs> and ride up and you just feel it. And I remember stepping out onto that thing and I was like, this is not hard, but there is no way in hell I want to fall in any way, shape or form right now. And it's a scary feeling, especially stepping out into exposure. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And then after that move, it's only like one or two moves where you go out of the cave mm -hmm. and you have to step into exposure. And then it's really, really simple going up and you get to the top of the, of the climb. And oh, nice. Now, were you guys leapfrogging at all or was it just you kind of just charging through the whole thing? So for that, what I told Mario is, man, this is my year long project. I will lead everything. If you want to lead a route, that's fine. I'm like comfortable leading everything. And that's how we, it eventually went. Like we got there and I told him, do you want to lead? And he was like, no, you know, I haven't been training that much because I just had a, a kid and, and I, I haven't been training that much. But Congratulations, so, Mario, to having a baby. So he let me lead, uh, which was, was, was kind of cool leading. So I was able to like, I was okay if I didn't lead all the pitches, but it was kind of nice to be able to just lead it every single page. Well, dude, that's awesome. So I'm assuming that would probably be the send then. The send was that you were able to walk up to your route, lead every pitch, finish the thing in some form of good fashion and good style. Yeah, that was the send. I think I was I was more satisfied with being able like, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing. I can be here with Mario. Mario is probably like a way better climber than I am. I think he just, before he had the kid, I think he used to climb 512s, like hard 512s. Regardless, it was like, I don't have to be with the AAC, which I love. I can just go out by myself uh -huh. and, and know everything that I need to do mm -hmm. to get up and down and enjoy this. So that was the feeling like I actually can go by myself and, and be as safe as possible and know at least basics of what I need to do. So we would say our send, our suffer was definitely slightly being sick and getting lost and being in the wrong canyon, which every climber can relate to. We've all done it more than once, if not once. If you've never done it, then you haven't probably been out rock climbing a lot. If you've never done it before at all, you're a liar, my opinion. But moving on, the send was, I really think it's like you really built a lot of confidence. And I think that kind of piggybacks on what I talked about about you earlier is like, dude, you've gotten so bold in your climbing. I've seen you make moves that I don't think you would have made seven to eight, nine months ago. Um, and I think this just goes to show that like, you know, consistent training and consistent work really pays off. And the fact of the matter that you were able to set your mind on a project, really stick with consistent, stick with your training, stick with your program, and then go ahead and send it. And that's, that's, I mean, that's good, the goal of everybody. So what's next on the list? What's like the next route? You know, um, I don't know. I kind of, I haven't picked a route yet. I think I want to learn a little bit more trap climbing and probably also want to get a little better in sport climbing. I, what, my real goal is I want to be able to climb 512 in the gym mm -hmm. so that I can go outside and climb 511s. Like that's kind of, I know it doesn't really 
doesn't map one to one normally. Yeah, no. but that was kind of like if I can climb five stuff in the gym. I feel like I might be able to do like good five to eleven outdoors. So that's kind of like the next progression. No, I think that's a fair estimate. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. They're not apples to apples or oranges to oranges, but I think you know you have a good understanding, and I think if you have a good understanding of your own personal abilities, being able to set your bars like that, I think you'll see more of the results that you expect to see, depending on the route. Now, once you start choosing a route, though, a route is really going to determine like what is actually going to happen, because some things are more cruxy, some things are more powerful, some things are more, you know, bouldery. It it, kind of definitely depends on the route, though. I would uh, recommend I think it's called either El Primo or El Presidente in the Wichita's. It's not hard. It's not well like hard in the definition of hard, but it's a five nine that traverses very far over to the right. And then it cuts straight up and it's to the left of serpentine near hidden wall in the Wichita's. That would be, uh, if you're looking for a small, if you're looking for a project to do locally, I, I do think you will be able to, I do think you'll be able to hit your goal, man. I'd be very curious to see what route you end up choosing next. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the reason why I kind of want to do a little harder sport climbs is there's, like I said, in Monterey, we have El Salto, mm-hmm. which is this beautiful, beautiful place <sighs> in, up in the mountain. So Potrero is kind of lower, so it's more <sighs> desert and the rock is grayish. But when you go up to El Salto, you go up the mountains. I don't know how high above it, it is, but it's pretty high. I would so say it's at least a thousand feet. Yeah, and it's just so green, and the mountain is multicolor. And but most of the routes there are start at five eleven. There's like a, like I've been there and I did like a five nine or a five ten, a couple of, yeah, a couple of five nines and five tens. But most of the routes are five twelve, five eleven. So I kind of want to be able to be at where I can just go there and enjoy that place without being terrified. I've climbed there once, and that place is some hard rock climbing. I was literally in Oleana like two weeks before. And then I flew to El, uh, into Monterrey and then went to El Salto. And I swear to you, it was like, it was just as good as quality rock and just as good as quality climbing. I think that place is a gem. And I think it's probably one of the best sport climbing areas. I, I have not traveled all of Mexico in any way, shape or form. But as far as like the lower 48 and the United States, you might as well just leave the States and go there and go sport climbing because in the lower 48, it just doesn't get any better than that. It does not get any better than uh, sport climbing in El Salto, Mexico, in my opinion. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. I would definitely agree. Uh, what route are you looking at over there? Is there anything in particular? Or are you just kind of like, I just want to go there and smash? No, yeah, no, no route in particular. Okay. Okay. Well, sir, well, you have shared your sin and you have definitely shared your suffer with us. Uh, if people want to find you online, where would they find you? Probably Instagram. That's my, like my social media choice, I guess. Okay. Okay. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And how are you surviving the quarantine right now? Oh, it's hard. Uh, not being able to climb, but... I do have a hangboard, so I feel like my fingers are going to be the strongest ever when we finish. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's going to be true for everyone. I think I think every trainer knows this, but this quarantine is going to be the best thing for every athlete or everyone training because now you're forced to work on your weaknesses. You don't have any other choice. You've got to get it done. 
All right, good people. So I hope you enjoyed Andy and I's conversation. Uh, it was fun to have, you know, even though you see your friends or your clients every day, when you get to interact with them on a different level, it really makes you appreciate the experiences and what they give to you, though your job is really to give to them. And it's kind of funny, um, you know, taking a moment just to talk all this COVID-19 stuff going around. And I wanted to throw in on the back of this something that I realized that I have missed so much from the climbing community and here in DFW. You know, it's so funny how people are integral parts of your life. You really don't have that much interaction with them. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like pumping your gas or, you know, you always see the same uh, clerk and you always have this casual kind of conversation. And when that person is gone, it's kind of like, oh, but in the climbing community, it's a little different. Like I'm used to watching people that I might not have the most like inner circle relationship with them, but I'm used to watching their struggles on the wall. They come up and tell me what routes they've sent, or we talk about routes on the wall. And we have so many more like emotional and mental tying points to each other. And I realized without those interactions, like that's what I've been missing the most. I'm fine being stuck inside, but realistically, that's the thing that I miss the most. So when all this is over, I can't wait to give you a little foot five. And then as soon as it's socially acceptable to give you a hug, expect one coming from me.